Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. We're delighted to welcome back with us today, Lynn Menges, the President and Chief Executive Officer of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. Of course, Lynn has been with us a number of times, including those uh, wonderful times that we like to uh, we'd like to forget those uh, COVID period of time where the restaurant industry and the lodging industry really went through some hard times. And uh, it was uh, a, a very tough time. And so I guess, Lynn, what, one of the things we kind of start uh, out talking about is the recovery uh, fully over now? And uh, is the business sort of back to normal? Well, Don, um, you know, I think businesses have recovered from COVID-19. People are comfortable dining out in restaurants again and those that made it through the pandemic, as most of them did, um, have pivoted and figured out new ways to run their operations. But I will say that there are many kind of unexpected lingering challenges that COVID sort of brought to bear that we're dealing with today. Um, you know, things like inflation. Um, we saw supply chain disruptions, which have mostly settled down, but the cost of goods remains high. And some of that started with supply chain disruptions. Um, we're seeing, you know, just inflation in general and increasing interest rates that many businesses depend on to upfit new restaurants or to renovate, make changes, add new equipment. Um, so they are facing a, a number of challenges, but all in all, the impacts of COVID uh, are sort of in our rearview mirror. Uh, but we certainly have a number of challenges that we face today, a number of headwinds. Uh, it's never easy being in the restaurant business. But, um, you know, good folks can still make a good living in it. And uh, the one thing they all enjoy is welcoming guests and serving them and creating memorable experiences. So they're committed. Well, hospitality is an interesting business because that's the key word to either eating experience in a restaurant or a lodging experience. It's hospitality. And uh, uh, that uh, always puts a burden on the supplier uh, to be sure that the customers are happy. <laughs> that's right. Please. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of things that uh, you said that I think almost almost every industry went through in some way or another. Of course, the advertising business changed a lot. Uh, our, our business changed a lot because we had a lot of people that uh, actually flourished during the recession, uh, or, I mean, the uh, COVID period. And, of course, we had others that were greatly dis dislodged from their normal form of operation. Um, so... Uh, now uh, you mentioned uh, inflation. That that's that's an ongoing problem with uh, restaurants because uh, has that sort of settled down to the point where they feel like they now can look ahead and say, well, prices aren't going to go up quite as much as they did in the last year. I think many restaurateurs, hoteliers alike, are pretty uh, conscious of inflation right now. They're seeing, you know, their their lease cost increasing, their labor cost in particular have gone through the roof since COVID. And a lot of that was because they had challenges finding workers. They were having to pay more and offer benefits and things of that nature in order to incent workers to work for them. So their labor costs are higher than they've ever been. Um, but they are saying that the, the, the cost of goods are higher than they've ever been. So, you know, they buy a, a pound of beef or a pound of chicken or pork, whatever it is they serve. Those costs are much higher today than they were pre-COVID. And a lot of that is driven by inflation. Um, but they're also kind of bound on the other side with price sensitivity because there is a saturation point. There is a point at which diners, 
you know, have less aptitude to, or less interest in dining out. And so they're very much sensitive to that. I think we're seeing them make ad adaptations with streamlined menus, maybe some value pricing of some meals, uh, nightly specials, things of that nature to make it more attractive uh, for diners to, you know, to, to continue to eat out um, without experiencing, you know, too much uh, cost in, or in, you know, a, a cost increase. Um, we are seeing traffic slow down quite a, a little bit, uh, both on the hotel lodging side. I won't say, you know, decreasing, but kind of flattening out. We've seen many years of escalating occupancy and demand. We're seeing some settling out of that right now. And also foot traffic in restaurants. I think it's, um, you know, we saw great escalation right after the pandemic. And I think that now that's settling down a bit, um, probably largely driven by by inflation and consumer confidence uh, folks, you know, trying to spend a bit less. So we're seeing a little bit of that, not too bad, but um, we're not, we're certainly not seeing the, um, you know, the, the tailwinds that we saw before COVID. Things are a little bit softer. Is there a significant difference or between say the fast food restaurants and uh, uh, the sit down restaurants is their problems different or similar? Well, they, they have, uh, you know, similar problems, but they also have some differences. So similarities would, uh, you know, mean that labor cost across the board, whether you're, you know, have, starting a, somebody who's just beginning at a quick serve restaurant um, or somebody who's serving fine dining, uh, you know, labor costs across the board have increased. Uh, cost of food across the board have increased. I think many quick serve restaurants are very value uh, sensitive, you know, making sure that they're delivering good value for their customers. Uh, because, you know, quite often they serve customers who can't absorb increased costs quite as well, uh, whereas fine dining maybe has a little bit better uh, ability to increase their margins. Uh, their customers maybe aren't quite so price sensitive. Um, but all in all, they're they're doing things differently. So on the fast food side, quick serve restaurants, they are really depending on drive through now. You'll see many drive through restaurants, quick serve restaurants. In some cases, they closed their dining rooms during COVID. And what they learned is we can operate more efficiently. Our profit margins are greater and we can serve customers quicker. You know, let's just keep the dining rooms closed. And so in many cases, they've ramped up their ability to do, you know, two or three lanes during the drive through And they're really closing down their, their in, inside dining uh, more and more of the time, some of them full time. So we're seeing that happen. Um, all of these restaurants are embracing technology to do things more efficiently than they've ever done before. They're investing in technology to take orders, uh, to check people into restaurants, to you're seeing kiosk orders for, you know, for folks to pay, place their orders. Um, and they're using things like artificial intelligence, which Don really escapes me. I, I haven't quite fully got my hands around that, but um, many of them are using artificial intelligence for, um, you know, labor save, saving technologies, things to manage cost, uh, to predict uh, supply, you know, the supply they'll need for a given night of service, uh, to automate supply restocks and things of that nature. So I think we're seeing across the board, both quick service and fine dining, um, embracing technology in ways they didn't pre-pandemic, but in ways they really have to today if they're going to be efficient. The, uh, you know, you, you can, if you're in a major city, or in the rural areas, either one, no matter where you go, you still see help wanted signs almost everywhere. And, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I suspect, uh, 
the day and age of talking about the uh, uh, minimum wage is sort of over because it is a labor-controlled market now, and, and uh, very few people work for uh, or even offered minimum wage anymore. That That is so true. Um, we are seeing help-wanted signs, but the good news is I think that that situation is getting better uh, for most of my operators that I talk with today, they say that things are better than they were in the early days after the pandemic. We've done a lot of work uh, to try to rebuild our workforce. And I hope we'll have time on the show to talk about that a bit, some of the things that we're doing. But um, we are seeing pretty much almost back to full employment in the industry. We are back to pre-pandemic levels. But you know what's happened is we're adding new restaurants and new hotels across the state almost yeah. daily. And so that that means we need more people, even despite the fact that we're using some automation, we need more people than ever before. Um, but in December, which is the latest month that we have job numbers, we added 4,500 jobs in the hospitality sector alone. So you know, if you take that month over month, we're continuing to add jobs and fill positions. So I think it's getting better. Um, but we're going to always need people to fuel this hospitality industry in our state. Yeah, I mean, uh, of all the industries uh, that uh, you look around, it seems like the hospitality industry might be more dependent on people, especially people with the right attitude about their work, because of the key word we keep saying, it is all about hospitality. It, people it, go it, to have a, not only get a meal or a night's lodging, but to have a good experience. That's, that's true. I mean, there are just uh, so many jobs in our industry that can't be automated or, you know, outsourced. Um, you know, we have to have people with a passion to serve other people. That's really what we're looking for in this industry are people who have that uh, fire in the belly. They're willing to work hard, but they, but moreover, they're willing to connect with people and to create memorable experiences. And uh, that's a that's a special kind of person that it takes to to work on the front lines in this industry. But one that we are uh, committed to hiring and training and and uh, employing in the industry so that we can continue to create um, experiences that keep customers coming back. Well, the consumer seems to be in love with uh, drive-through window. You you mentioned that for the quick serve restaurants because I've seen a number of cases where I pull up and you look at uh, maybe six cars in front of you and you look at the uh, window inside and there's nobody standing in the serve line. So. Uh, I've got, so I just pull in the park and go inside and get served quicker. That's right. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Because most of the, uh, most of the buildings were established to not handle quite as much traffic. Uh, are they coming up with new ways to speed up the uh, quick service drive-throughs? They are. They're embracing technology in, uh, in many ways and uh, creating, as I mentioned earlier, multiple lanes. Uh, they have individuals standing to place orders rather than, you know, speaking over a loudspeaker, looking at the menu box, uh, and they can move those folks much quicker than they could before. I think many restaurants seized the opportunity in the early days or during COVID and then the early days after COVID um, to make those modifications to their businesses. They had to change infrastructure. And in some cases, they had to add drive-through windows where they didn't exist before. <clears throat> but today, one of the challenges we're seeing is that um, <clears throat> interest rates are so high and capital is scarce for commercial development. Um, that's really impeding a lot of restaurant growth. And so those who haven't already embraced drive-throughs and made modifications, you know, are facing uh, some some real challenges right now just because of, you know, access to capital and uh, the, the increase in interest rates. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier that the supply chain issues are sort of uh, a thing of the past, at least. 
Yes, I, I think so. I'm, I'm not hearing that uh, much anymore like we did there for a while, but costs continue to be elevated um, and, you know, maybe not increasing so much, but they have remained high the, the, to the levels we saw during the supply chain disruption. So the prices didn't go down when the supply chain corrected. So we're still absorbing those costs. In the uh, quick service foods, are you seeing smaller per order uh buys or are people adjusting what they're buying i think they're still ordering their their favorite menu items you know value meals things of that nature i don't think we've seen a reduction in cost or, or you know ticket price menu ticket price or customer ticket price um but i do think that people are conscious of that and i think it's it's largely attributed to the fact that restaurateurs have done everything they can to hold the hold prices so it won't um disrupt you know customers from from dining out in their favorite restaurants our guest is Lynn Menges. She's the president and chief executive officer of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. And we've spent most of our time in this first segment talking about the restaurant industry. And uh, we, in the uh, next segment, are going to turn a little bit more to the lodging portion of her association and talk about motels, hotels, and, and conventions and things of that sort. And we will do that right after we take time out for these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. My mom has taken up going to the park to practice yoga. My dad's going to a club, but not a book club, a salsa club. Finding new hobbies comes with age. My mom has started getting lost and not knowing where she's going. Becoming lost or disoriented doesn't. Confusion with time or place may be a sign of Alzheimer's. An early diagnosis can help improve the quality of life for your loved one. Learn the warning signs of Alzheimer's at 10signs.org. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Lynn Menges. She is the president and chief executive officer of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. Uh, according to the data I've got, uh, it represents more than $27 billion in sales annually and employs about 11 to 12% of the state's, uh, state's workforce. So this is a major part of our economy, Lynn. It's uh, very important to see that this uh, this segment of our population does well. And we're going to turn more to hotels and, and motels and lodging in this segment. And, of course, North Carolina not only has business travel, but we also have recreation travel, recreational travel or uh, tourism because we have lots of places like Asheville and the mountains and Boone and the uh, high country and uh, also the uh, beaches where people like to go to uh, 
take their vacations. And this is an important part of our economy. Uh, so l- let's talk about the tourism part of the hotel business. How is it faring and uh, is it back to normal? Well, the good news is North Carolina is a very desirable travel destination. And we have, you know, incredible small towns, um, vibrant cities. We have remarkable uh, beaches and uh, mountain destinations all over North Carolina. Great rural small towns, festivals and events. And so leisure travel in North Carolina has remained strong. It was very strong. In fact, really experienced a surge during covid um, where we saw people interested in traveling to some of our more remote destinations where they felt safe. They wanted to get out of their homes, but didn't want to be around a lot of people. And they found that in spades in North Carolina. They could come to our state, get outside, hike, camp, uh, experience nature, go along the beaches. And so we saw just a, a remarkable surge in leisure travel during that time. Where we saw declines were things like you know organized meetings and conventions. Those sort of fell off. Now, I think things have normalized. Leisure travel still is strong. We're a preferred travel destination. We get visitors from all over the world, but um, many visitors from up and down the East Coast find uh, you know, uh, experiences in North Carolina, and so they choose to, tra- to take la- leisure trips to our state. Um, but we're also seeing meeting and convention business coming back and sporting events, uh, and we enjoy those all over the state of North Carolina. I was... Uh, yeah. How many out-of-state visitors do we have? I, I'm sure this is an estimate, but uh, what's the latest estimate of how many out-of-state people choose to take vacation or spend vacation times in North Carolina? Well, it's uh, really about two-thirds of our visitors, and I think uh, last year we saw about 50 million visitors who who came to North Carolina. That's a staggering number, but about 50 million. So um, about two-thirds of those are North Car- or excuse me, are from out-of-state. About a third of those are North Carolinians. Um, you know, which is good. Typically, folks from other states spend more money. They stay longer. Those of us who live here in the state enjoy a quick weekend getaway. So maybe we're not taking that week vacation at the coast. Uh, we're just ducking down for, you know, a, a getaway to the mountains or coast or to attend a concert or festival. But people who come to North Carolina from, you know, New York, Florida, uh, South Carolina, Georgia, other East Coast destinations come and tend to stay longer. They come and spend a week in the mountains or in the coast. And so those are really high value. They're all high value, but they're an important part of our uh, ability to attract those, you know, high dollar spend or those who spend more per day and stay longer. So that's uh, really, really important. Where was the recovery the quickest, the mountains or the beaches? Well, interesting. I, I really think the two of them, uh, the mountains and the coast, fared really well. I mean, I know Asheville, Boone, Blowing Rock, those, you know, parts of our Western North Carolina did exceptionally well, but it was largely because there were cabin rentals, there were uh, short-term rentals uh, where folks felt really comfortable. But our coast saw just record levels of of visitation, things they'd never seen before, and people stayed even during the shoulder season. So traditionally, our beaches would fill up, you know, for those 10 weeks of the summer, you know, June to August. They saw people who just went and stayed, you know, in March when things shut down. They're like, if I got to work remotely, I can just go do that anywhere. And they chose North Carolina. Um, many of those since have retired and live in our state. So um, we just saw just a great influx of visitors in those two leisure destinations. We didn't see that surge in the cities um, as much as you might expect during COVID. But today, I think that business is coming back. Business travel, meetings, conventions, sporting events, concerts, all of those things 
are strong, as strong, if not stronger than they've ever been. And so we are seeing you know, really uh, good traffic um, for, for those kinds of uh, events as well. How is the uh, lodging folk uh, handle the issue of the various school calendars? Because, you know, it hasn't been that long ago that uh, almost all public school systems were closed for June, July, and August, almost the complete months. And now school on the uh, uh, secondary level usually starts somewhere around the middle of August and so, and uh, in some cases ends in May. Uh, and, of course, the college schedule has changed also. How has that affected uh, uh, the travel, uh, especially for week-long travels? Well, Don, you raise a really important issue and one that we spend a lot of time talking about and working on. Um, about 10 years ago, the hospitality industry, tourism industry, got together and went to the General Assembly and asked for a school calendar bill to be put in place that would essentially have school to start uh, no sooner than Labor Day. And I think it's really the Monday after Labor Day, but Labor Day um, and, you know, run through Memorial Day. So really, you, it protected 10 weeks of the summer season. And so that law has been in place for about 10 years and has worked really well, both in terms of, of driving, you know, keeping visitors coming to our beaches and mountains and other places across the state, but also protecting the workforce. A number of students, high school students, college students uh, found, you know, summer employment in the hospitality industry. And our industry depended on those workers to, you know, uh, to, to keep uh, keep these businesses open. What we're seeing today, unfortunately, Don, is a number of school districts violating the law. So we have school boards across North Carolina, I think around 20 of them right now, who have looked at the law and said, we don't agree with the law, the way the legislature has passed it. And we are choosing to change our schedule and we're going to do it our way. And so they are starting back, as you mentioned, um, in some cases, you know, starting back to school mid-August and they're getting out, you know, sometimes even later. Um, but they are, you know, keeping these kids in school taking teacher work days, building in, um, you know, a number of breaks throughout the school year. And it's really creating quite a bit of disruption, um, you know, to families, uncertainty around school calendar, uh, creating problems for things like summer camps and for our industry. So we're really kind of at an impasse right now where, where we've got school districts choosing to break laws that are on the books, probably not setting a real good example um, for students, you know, and if they're not following that law, what other laws are they not following? So this is an issue we continue to talk to policymakers about. Um, you know, they, they really are bound by the law that's on the books. And so, um, you know, our hope is that they would uh, do the right thing and adhere to the law or try to lobby to get the law changed. But so far that hasn't happened. So, you know, we have school districts across the state that are currently in violation of the law. Well, the thing that bothers me a little bit about uh, the high schools starting so early is their football practice starts in in the hottest season of the year, August. Most We usually have extremely hot and humid weather, and these kids are out practicing football. And then the first couple of three home games or football games are also played in very hot weather. And uh, I know when I was in high school, the first football game was the first Friday after Labor Day. I mean, it was uh, football was a fall sport. Now it's almost, almost a summer fall sport. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we've got kids on school buses that aren't air conditioned. Many of the schools, old, old school buildings across North Carolina still exist where they're not air conditioned. So 
you know, there are a number of challenges, but, you know, with without regard to how we might feel about the law, it is the law. Legislators have considered this issue. They passed a law. It's on the books. And we have school districts across the state that are choosing to violate it, um, which is a concern. There are, you know, many other laws they have to follow as well. And the hope is that they don't have the same disregard for those laws as they do this particular one. So this is an issue you can tell that's a hot button for our industry, but uh, one we think is important. And we think there are lots of ways that these school districts could easily comply, particularly now that they've learned to do, uh, you know, virtual learning and things of that nature if they needed to do those kinds of things. We've mentioned the beaches and the mountains. And of course, one of the popular features at both is not only the water and the, the scenery and the uh, the skiing, but also golf is a huge uh, thing for North Carolina. It, golf is really huge. We're going to be uh, hosting the uh, U.S. Men's Open in Pinehurst this June. And uh, looking forward to that. We expect a number of visitors to come to our state and experience our state. Uh, we've done a phenomenal job every time we've hosted this U.S. Men's Open and the Women's Open as well. It really shines a spotlight uh, for TV viewers and for those in attendance, you know, from all over the world. So uh, quite an honor to be able to host that sporting event. But we do have golf courses throughout our state that are uh, just amazing attractions in and of themselves. And we're we're blessed to have those. The U.S. Open is interesting because I think this is one of the most popular destinations for the golfers themselves. They like coming to North Carolina. Oh, they, they love coming to North Carolina, both to, to watch golf, but also to play golf. And uh, so we, we continue to see strong uh, investment in golf courses and golf facilities and uh, business travelers who choose to come here and play golf. And of course, boating is also a big attraction because of the intercoastal waterway. That's right. Uh, intercoastal waterway, deep sea fishing, uh, fishing in our uh, marshlands and, uh, and and rivers. Um, yeah, it's a very popular. And then boating, of course, in lakes across our, our state. So um, we're, we're really blessed with a lot of natural amenities that make our state a great destination. I have a friend who says that uh, fishing piers are uh, would represent a really good way to solve all our problems. He's, he points out that on a fishing pier, everyone is equal. Everyone has an equal chance. Uh, you can have expensive equipment or you can have just a, a line and you've still got about the same chance to catch a fish. And the other thing he points out is everybody's pulling for everybody. Everybody wants to see somebody else in addition to themselves catch a fish. That's it's right. A, it's a social It's a social thing. And, it is. Uh, I love them. Yeah. yeah the, it's a, a great thing. Uh, I guess human relations story there somewhere. Uh, so, um, so in summary, uh, as far as the tourism aspect of the uh, travel and tourism business, that seems to be uh, sort of back to normal and uh, back to pre-COVID levels and maybe beyond. I think so. Tourism is uh, experiencing quite well. You know, we're seeing some challenges that concern me a, a bit, and we've begun to have some conversation with mayors across the state about changing the urban the changing urban landscapes in our state uh, where we've got just a lot of homelessness, drug addiction, mental health issues, you know, in some of our urban areas. Um, and those are kind of threats that we're beginning to see out there that we would like to see policymakers address uh, in some meaningful way because we don't want those to begin to taint our incredible visitor destinations. We want to continue to offer, great experiences. And, um, you know, those are some issues that we see as threats to our tourism economy, particularly in those urban areas 
where they are seeing, you know, an uptake in these particular areas. Well, people expect to be safe and they have every right to be safe. And uh, uh, somewhere in the next segment or two, uh, uh, I want to talk about uh, daylight savings time and and your views on that. And uh, we also, in the next segment, kind of want to talk about the convention business, which did suffer during COVID, but uh, is also, according to what you uh, touched on just a little earlier, seems to be coming back as well. Our guest is Lynn Menges. He's the president and chief executive officer of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. We're going to take a break for some commercial messages, and we'll be right back. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? Or your daughter's first birthday party. You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our quince's. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Lynn Menges, who's the president and chief executive officer of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. At uh, one time, prior to this current position, she served as deputy secretary in the North Carolina Department of Commerce, overseeing the marketing of the state of North Carolina as a business location and a destination for tourism. Also, uh, the film industry, you work some in that area, and sports development. So you have a background that's... uh, Really interesting, and I guess that's been very beneficial to you in your new job. I say new job. You've been there now for uh, 12 for years. 12, 12 years. Time flies, yes. And, and they said she couldn't keep a job. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I bet that background really helped you get off to a great start. Well, Don, I have a real passion for this industry. So, you know, for as you mentioned, for many years, I work to uh, recruit visitors, to get visitors to choose North Carolina as a travel destination and partnered with communities all over North Carolina to increase the opportunities for people to visit, to create festivals and events and and lure conventions and lure films to our state to try to get investment. And um, we had some really good success with that over the 20 years that I was with the state of North Carolina. But in this current role, my job is a bit different, and it's to make sure that the businesses that benefit from that business um, are represented and that we put in place good policies so that they can continue to thrive. If you think about it, you know, the reason we try to get people to visit North Carolina is, yes, we want to share our amazing state, but really we want them to spend the night in a hotel and to eat meals in restaurants 
and to visit our many attractions, to buy local goods and arts and crafts, to spend money in North Carolina. And so those businesses are the ones I represent and work for today. And the challenge and opportunity is to make sure that hotels and restaurants and attractions continue to thrive and grow and prosper and that government, as they consider policies and laws that they're going to put in place, do so in a way that that don't hurt those businesses, that create the least harm, and in many cases, um, pass legislation that helps the industry to grow and thrive. Um, one example of that is that, you know, during COVID, legislators were and policymakers in general were very empathetic to the concerns of our industry, and we were able to work successfully with policymakers to get um, grant money to help rebuild our workforce, to get training money to help train new workers coming into the industry, and to put in place high school and college programming for uh, people who are interested in careers in hospitality. We also got um, some grant money that went directly to businesses that had struggled during COVID. Those who had suffered the most loss received uh, some grant funding to help them recover and sustain. And so we're particularly proud that North Carolina set itself apart in that way. There were no other states in the nation that have done anything like we've done to help restaurants and hotels in the aftermath of COVID. And uh, I take particular pride in that because I think I was just so passionate about the fact that we could not let our tourism economy um, struggle. We couldn't couldn't lose ground. We had to work hard to protect these businesses. And we did that. So, yes, I'm enjoying this this new line of work, but I'm also honored that I was in this I'm in this place at this time um, to help the industry in some what I think are some important ways. Well, business travel and conventions are very much a, an important part of the hotel part and, of course, the restaurant part of your business, uh, of your association as well. Uh, are conventions back in vogue now? Because that was one of the things that really suffered during COVID. Well, it did suffer during COVID. And then there was this um, great concern that when conventions came back, when folks could could travel again and conventions could be held again, that there would be some decrease in attendance at events and meetings and conventions. We really have not seen that. Um, you know, there were all these businesses that were trying to jockey for, you know, Zoom and virtual experiences and things of that nature in, you know, that would that would take the place of meetings and conventions. But I think what we're finding is that the desire to be together the desire for networking and informal conversations that happen around lunch tables and dinner and evening receptions are so vitally important. Um, those human connections are such an integral part of, of business and meetings and conventions that um, we're seeing, seeing that business remain strong. More conventions are coming than ever before and attendance remains strong. So no fall off there, despite the fact that there were some concerns early on um, we've continued to do quite well here in North Carolina uh, because we've got great convention facilities across the state in small towns and large urban settings. Um, we're an easy state with great transportation infrastructure. So we've got, you know, it's easy for folks from across the country internationally to fly into North Carolina and with expanding service happening literally every day in our state. And we've got a great highway system. So for those who want to travel by car to uh, for meetings and conventions, we're very easy uh, to access. So those things coupled together, I think, make us a, a strong meeting and convention destination. And I think we will continue to be. You know, I, I get I, I keep watching the number of airlines that are adding 
destin- new destinations, especially out of Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, and Greensboro. And uh, I tend to think of that from the those going out, but th- that also opens us to people from places like Milwaukee. That's a new nonstop lo- uh, destination that's just recently been added to come to North Carolina. So it works both ways. Exactly, Don. And I caught that just as you were saying that uh, you were focused on the outbound travel because yes. that's you and I, we're like, oh, wow, we can go to these great new yeah. places and visit. But when you're in my line of work, you're thinking about the opportunities for bringing visitors in. It's the opposite. Yeah. So uh, that really is our focus. And we're quick to seize on those opportunities to attract new visitors, you know, and they can get here nonstop, uh, you know, nonstop flights now. Um, and so those are really new, whole new markets for us to tap into. And we've done that, I think, pretty well in the state. So how do you go about, uh, now that there's a nonstop to, say, Milwaukee, how do you go about promoting that? Uh, well, largely, that work is done by Visit NC, my former, where I, I used to work. I still work very closely with those folks. But they really do uh, identify those as new markets, uh, potential markets. And so when there is a convention or meeting or a business meeting, uh, they can go into those markets and work specifically to attract maybe a new comp- a company from Milwaukee, you say, who may not have considered, say, Raleigh, North Carolina, because it wasn't a direct flight. Now they may because they can put all their employees on a plane and get them here, can meet in Raleigh. So it's a great untapped uh, new market that wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have potential prior to, you know, opening that flight. So there's very definitely a concerted effort to to seize those new direct uh, flights coming into our state, into cities across North Carolina who are opening those new flights. Um, great opportunity. Jason handed me a note and said, you haven't said anything about NASCAR. And of course, that's another attraction, especially in Charlotte. But something interesting has happened at the North uh, North Wilkesboro Speedway, which was the victim of some of the larger speedway uh, improvements and uh, they lost their races and it was very popular. But now the citizens of that area have worked together and have reopened that, that uh, racetrack. And that's, that's, uh, and it very, everybody's really excited about it. That's right. That's right. We are a, a state that's uh, steeped in motorsports in general. We love our motorsports, NASCAR included. Uh, and it's great to have those venues that bring not only those big high profile races, but weekend races and, you know, all kinds of other events, concerts, those those venues um, are, you know, incredibly important in our state. Um, and the, the the folks at the Speedway, but all this, you know, the both Speedways have done a phenomenal job of attracting visitors and opening themselves up, uh, allowing their venues to be used for other things. So really, you know, tours and behind the scene tours and driving experiences uh, so the opportunities for engagement with visitors and new visitors uh, is tremendous. We're we're fortunately a state with so many things to offer, um, unlike competitive destinations where they really just have beaches or just have mountains or, you know, just have a few cities. We really have such a diverse offering. Uh, it gives us great flexibility in uh, in expanding tourism and uh, the money that both business and leisure travelers bring to our state. And of course, you also work with uh, the transportation department because developing routes to these vacation sites and ease of travel is very important. It it is. And uh, so we do work closely with our North Carolina Department of Transportation. We're blessed in our state to have just an incredible uh, highway infrastructure, interstate highways, uh, you know, running through our state. 
um, that make transportation and travel really easy. Uh, great rail system, airline system. Uh, so we are blessed in many, many ways. It's important. It's important for economic development. It's important for tourism. It's important for business investment. Um, and it all works together. I should have asked this question earlier. Uh, are hotels generally back to the same occupancy ratios that they had before COVID? The hotels are are back and they're doing, they've done quite well. They uh, really saw a surge after the pandemic. Um, but now uh, that seems to be tapering off just a bit. They're commanding higher prices than they ever have before, even as hotel demand softens just a little bit right now. Some of that is inflationary, you know, driven with businesses cutting back on business travel and consumers maybe traveling, cutting a day off a trip. So we're seeing a little bit of that, uh, you know, decrease in or, or leveling out of occupancy, although rate uh, continues to be high. So they're still commanding pretty impressive uh, amounts of revenue um, from the hotel rooms that they do sell. Overall, um, hospitality investment was up 4% in December. So we're seeing that continue to increase, but the, the, the increase in revenue is largely coming from cost price per room more than is being driven by demand. I, you know, I keep thinking of things I should have asked earlier when we were on the subject, but uh, I, uh, so I'm going to go back to the restaurants for just a moment and talk about sports bars. And come March, we're going to have sports betting legalized in North Carolina. What changes will that uh, uh, bring about as far as sports bars? And uh, I, I'm just guessing that this is going to be an opportunity. Well, I, one would think it is. It is an issue that I've not been, and our association has not been very involved in. So we're eager to learn more about it, but it does sound like it's going to bring some important revenue and coupled with that new revenue, some investment in additional, uh, you know, amateur sporting events and fields and uh, things of that nature, which should drive additional revenue for the hospitality industry. So more to be seen on how that all plays out and what impacts it has on um, hotel and restaurant traffic. But sounds like a, overall, it's going to be a good thing here in North Carolina. Looking forward to learning more about that. The casino that is open in Kings Mountain, what uh, what effect will that have on travel and tourism in that area? I do think that's going to have a, a big impact. I remember when Harris opened the Cherokee Casino uh, in Cherokee, and there was a little bit of, you know, angst about that, you know, what impact that would have. That quickly became our number one tourist attraction in North Carolina. Hard to believe, but the volume of people who go through those casinos made it quickly the number one tourist attraction. Wow. And I didn't I know it was number one. I know it's unbelievable, but I believe we're going to see the same thing with this new casino. People do enjoy casinos. They will travel long distances to visit casinos. And I think we're going to see some good traffic. We're looking forward to working with uh, the new casino as well as others that may come. You know, that's a, a topic on the table and probably will be uh, handled with, by the general assembly at some point, but it really does expand our uh, hospitality footprint, more restaurants, more hotels that would come with those casinos. So all in all, um, it would really expand our hospitality industry here in the state, bring more money, more employees, and uh, more more tax base. All good. Well, when I grew up in Bessemer City, North Carolina, back in the 50s, I would have thought that uh, casinos and sports betting and that sort of thing was off the table forever. <laughs> you would think, but things are things are changing. And now if we can get our policymakers to take a more progressive look at alcohol through some alcohol reform we're working on, we'll, uh, we'll have it made here, Don. But we still are a little bit gun shy about uh, serving alcohol, like to keep that under lock and key and 
uh, you know, are not making that any easier for businesses. Well, we've got uh, one final segment coming up. And in that segment, I want to talk about how technology is changing both the uh, restaurants and the lodging uh, folks. And also uh, touch a little bit on the revitalization of downtown areas because uh, that's important. And we touched on that a little earlier. People expect them to be safe, but they're also expecting them to be new and fresh. Yes. Uh, and we also want to talk about uh, uh, anything uh, as far as the labor problems that the restaurants have as far as getting enough labor. And we'll do all of that when we return with our guest, Lynn Mingees, President and Chief Executive Officer of the North Carolina Restaurant Lodging Association. And we'll do that right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, Lynn Mingees. She's been with us a number of times, and about two years ago, we were talking about the hard times being created by COVID, and some of those problems are solved, but some, of, of course, still remain. And one of the things that, Lynn, you told me during the break that you wanted to talk about was a, a new career development program that you have. Yes, and thanks for the opportunity. So you all know, your listeners know, we've talked about before the fact that um, during COVID, we displaced about half of our workforce. You know, one day when restaurants sh shut down, March 17th, 2020, there were about eight weeks where restaurants were not allowed to be open. And because of that, many restaurants didn't have money to pay employees, and so they sent them home. Since that time, we've been working hard to rebuild our workforce and have, as we talked about earlier, seen some great success. But as a part of our uh, legislative ask, when we, we talk with policymakers about what they could do to help our industry, we asked for a $5 million grant from ARPA funds, American Rescue Plan, um, that was set aside to help industries most impacted. So ours clearly met that criteria. We were an industry most impacted. And they allocated $5 million, which we um, have used to develop and execute a workforce development campaign. So what we did is um, launched a campaign in October of this past year designed to help introduce people to career opportunities in the industry, 
to talk about the merits of working in our industry and to profile over 100 people at all levels of employment in our industry, you know, about their work, what they love about their work. You know, they talk about the fact that it's hard work, but the fact they go home at night and they're satisfied. They talk about their the career opportunities where maybe they started an entry-level job and today they own a restaurant or two restaurants or run a hotel. Um, they talk about their experiences. And anyway, all of that, we, we launched uh, about three months ago and just recently have some incredible news around that program. Um, since we launched, we have uh, created, you know, there's a website in conjunction with that, servingcareers.com. When folks go to that website, they can search for job opportunities that are available today. And so just before we came on the air, I looked and today in North Carolina, there are 18,598 jobs in restaurants and hotels that are listed there on that website. They can search by area. They want a job in Raleigh or Charlotte or Newburn. They can search by area. They can search by background and experience. I want one that requires a college degree. They can search by pay. Today I searched and there are over 2,700 jobs on that website that pay over $50,000 a year. So, you know, a really incredible tool. We are seeing record traffic on that website. 65 million people have visited that website. And we have had over 250,000 application starts. So people are going there, they're finding a job and over 250,000 people have started an application. So, you know, just really incredible uh, results already with the campaign. It will run through May, but we think this is just a, a wonderful opportunity to introduce people to careers in the industry at all levels. There are management level jobs. There are general manager jobs. Uh, there are all kinds of career opportunities. And then one more thing, and I, I won't spend too much time on this, but we also have a million dollars to train people who are interested. So if you want to be a general manager of a hotel, if that's something you ever thought you wanted to do, they can go online and take a course on that off that website and we'll pay for it. We have money from the federal government to underwrite the cost of that. If you want to be a restaurant manager or a, a bartender, um, any job in our industry, there are um, training courses online, over 65 of them, that folks can take for, for free. And I will say that there is no other state in our nation that's doing anything like this. We are unique in that way. But it really kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, Don, is that We've done a good job, I think, in North Carolina of valuing tourism and the, the jobs it creates and the small businesses it supports. And because of that, we were able to leverage that uh, with policymakers to to get this investment that's making just a huge difference in North Carolina. So really proud of that program. And thanks for allowing me to talk about it just a little bit. Well, it sounds like a great program. and It sounds like it's uh, going to pay off. And, and, you know, interesting thing about any time the, the government supplies things that put people to work, it also creates taxpayers. <laughs> and so they have a return on their investment that uh, I've never seen really calculated, but it should be because uh, here are people who are not earning, so therefore they're not making uh, tax payments, and now they're participating. That's right. That's right. So we're, we're really pleased that folks are finding uh, work in our industry, and some of them part-time, some of them students, some of them moms that stay home with their kids during the day, spouse, you know, can keep them at night so they can go work a, a night shift in the industry. So, you know, just a lot of flexibility with this industry, but it is all good. It's These are people who are contributing to our society and paying taxes and uh, and are making a difference every day. What about uh, technology? I uh, Jason has a note on my list of things to talk to you about, and all it says is technology. So, 
what's happening in technology that might affect either uh, the restaurants or the lodging uh, folk that you deal with? Well, interesting. It is a it is a hot topic right now. There is a clamoring uh, for folks to try to improve efficiencies. You know, I'm talking about pressures with cost and pressures with labor that these businesses are facing. And so they're all, uh, you know, seeking ways they can implement technology to improve efficiencies, to create efficiencies and cost savings. So some of the things we're seeing both restaurants and hotels do are kiosk for ordering. Now, you know, you go into a quick serve restaurant, you have to use a kiosk frequently and you do that for ordering and for payment. So that is a change. You also, yesterday I checked into a hotel in our state, checked in with a kiosk and a key that's sent to my phone. So I didn't even have to go to the front desk. They already had my credit card information, use that key to swipe to go right into my room. That's a way they can create efficiencies, time savings for me as a consumer um, and, you know, reduce their labor cost. Um, we're seeing across the board, automated inventory management systems being put in place, digital kitchen displays, um, QR codes for menus. And that gives, um, you know, it saves printing cost. It also means you don't have to have somebody to walk over to the table, give you a menu or collect that menu, clean that menu. It also means that the business owner can change the menu daily. If they don't have uh, chicken wings today or they run out, they can take them off the menu. So the menu is live and interactive and it gives them the ability to change that menu depending on what's in season, what they can buy for, you know, a good value and what they can offer to their customers. So all of those things really are are changing our industry in, you know, unprecedented ways. Um, an interesting thing that that I've seen work a bit is robots. Uh, now, you know, I'm cautioning a little bit. There are some restaurants that are using robots to deliver food to the table. So there are a few of those across our state where that's working. But moreover, they're seeing robots working in the back of the house you know, moving goods, you know, to the line so it can be cooked. So we're seeing uh, implementation of robots. And in hotels, they're using them quite frequently for uh, both delivering goods, um, you know, replenishing, let's say, linens and soaps and toiletries, but as well for vacuuming. Um, those are reducing labor cost, but it's a way that they can uh, invest in technology in new and innovative ways to make their businesses more efficient. So a lot of that happening across the state, across the country. But I think a real clamoring of uh, for business owners to learn more about those technologies and to make smart strategic investments that are really making a difference to their bottom line. And uh, the other topic I wanted to talk about, because uh, you're seeing a lot of towns uh, have already jumped on this bandwagon of revitalizing, revitalizing the downtown areas. And this has uh, changed uh, the nightlife scene with bars and restaurants and, and uh, social places. Um, what's happening in that front? And uh, are we continuing to see a move toward more downtown uh, and uh, uh, development in, in areas that have not developed it so far? Well, I remember back when I was a, a, a student at Peace College and then NC State here in Raleigh, there weren't many restaurants and there wasn't much happening downtown. You know, there were just a few things around. And in my lifetime, I've seen just incredible growth in urban areas in the state. I happen to live here in Raleigh, live and work here. But I, yesterday was in Charlotte and been all, you know, travel around the state. We saw a real uptick in growth of downtown urban areas uh, across North Carolina over the past mm, 30 years, I guess, 20, 30 years. But uh, today we're seeing a little bit of a shift away from that in these urban areas. We are seeing, I mentioned earlier, we're seeing an increase in crime and homelessness and in violence downtown. Um, we're seeing a little bit of pressure on businesses because 
Uh, many people, many businesses are allowing workers to work from home. And so we don't see the foot traffic in many of these urban areas. And that is a concern, something we're tracking pretty closely that I, I meet with mayors. I met with five of them earlier this week, um, spoke to a group of them uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, talking about this issue that we really have to come together and work on making downtowns vibrant and safe and inviting again. Um, because without that, we're going to see, I think, a migration from these urban areas back to the suburbs. Um, we are seeing a lot of suburban growth in ways that we've not seen in recent years. So, you, you know, these downtown restaurants may close a downtown location and they're choosing to move to, you know, people are working in the suburbs today. They're not commuting into downtowns as much. And so many of these restaurants are migrating back to the suburbs in a way they weren't. I think I'm seeing we're seeing a reverse trend um, and so there is a need for, I think, revitalization in urban areas. I do think across the the rest of the country, across the rest of the state, we're seeing, you know, downtowns and small towns continue to grow and thrive and prosper. And, and I think that will continue. But I think the threat is in some of our larger cities, a handful of, you know, six or eight cities where we're seeing, you know, on the national news, they're talking about crime in these downtown areas and um, that's something we don't need right now. So I do think that it's we're kind of at a, a time it's important for us to come together and and really take a hard look at, at these issues um, so that we don't see, you know, a, a loss of our urban centers that we that we depend on so much. And uh, that uh, are are were have the opportunity to be very popular also. That's so, right. So uh, we didn't touch on the bed and breakfast industry. Uh, you got 30 seconds on how the bed and breakfast people are doing? Well, they're doing pretty well. Um, I think folks always enjoy good hospitality to meet a local native, to stay in a home, to have a meal with somebody and to he hear good recommendations. They have uh, struggled a bit with um, other with competition from short-term rentals. Uh, some of those folks have gotten in the business themselves, but things like Airbnb and VRBO, Folks can go online and rent homes, you know, on their own. And so there is a little bit of erosion of some of the market share there. We've seen some closing of bed and breakfast, um, but still a, a very, very popular way to travel and experience our state. So there, there's still a few out there, but I would say less today than there were, you know, five or 10 years ago. Uh, and we also, of course, didn't talk about catering. And that's another area that uh, uh, seems to be growing with uh a lot of emphasis on the the coffee shops and stores, but our time is uh, sort of coming to an end. Lynn, we certainly appreciate you taking time to talk to us about uh, the interesting things that are going on and the recovery from COVID for both the restaurants and the hotels and motels and other lodging uh, folks that you represent at the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. Uh, it's uh, always great to have you on the show, and we'll look forward to having you come back soon. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He uh, promises me that uh, you can go online and hear a repeat of this broadcast by going to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear either the entire broadcast, or if you're listening to one of the stations that carries only the 30-minute version, you can listen to the two segments that you miss. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Uh, so check that out and also any previous programs that you might have missed. Uh, our time is gone. We'll look forward to having you back next week. Same time, same station, all across North Carolina. Till then, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.